Let's pray. Father, it's so good to draw near to you. Thank you, Father, that you've given us this awesome privilege to enter in and even the freedom to enter into this building to gather in your name, to assemble as you've ordained, Father. We know it's for your purpose, not ours, but we benefit that you have a purpose every time we assemble. So, Father, have your way here as we open your word. Holy Spirit, come, teach in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to be in James chapter 3 today. Not a very long chapter. We're going to read the whole thing before, we, before I elaborate and get into any, any depth. I'll just read from NIV on the screen, Tom. Uh, thank you. Not many of you should become teachers. <laughs> That's a good start. I'll just sit down now. <laughs> My fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged... More strictly, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put uh, put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, it sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. How encouraging this word is. (laughs) With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Wow. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. 
But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. (laughs) Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. There's a lot in that little short chapter. But most of it deals with the tongue. It seems almost disjointed to start by saying, most of you shouldn't be teachers, and then it turns around and starts talking about the tongue. Well, what do teachers do? They talk, they say stuff, and they make mistakes, and it's dangerous when you're doing that with the Word of God. We we don't make mistakes on purpose, but we do. Sadly, there are some who do make mistakes on purpose. They choose their own way, their own opinion over that of what the Word actually says. But that word... Uh, for teachers, has to do with the same thing we, we uh, in education, we use these words like didactic instruction. That's, that word comes from the same root word as this teacher's part here. And actually, that over the last few decades has become a, a, a derogatory term in the education realm. Didactic instruction is not the way to teach. Because it just means, huh? Because it means one-way instruction. I'm going to tell you how it is. I always figured that was a good way to do it because you don't know, so I'm going to tell you. (laughs) You know, how do you discover calculus? Unless you're Newton or Leibniz, whoever you want to give credit to developing calculus. How do you do that? But the higher-ups, the, the, the higher echelon of educational elites say, let students discover. No. <laughs> if you need to know, I'll tell you. And then I'll let you have a chance to discover. One time I, I really thought I had this great idea in physics. I'm going to let kids just, just figure out a way to measure these things for this experiment we were doing, experiment with the collisions uh, of uh, little carts on an air track. Because you need that, a timer and a distance and all this stuff to decide, you know, figure out velocities. And, and so I gave them all these little hints. And we used a, a old camcorder, you know, with the tape and everything, camcorder. And we had a clock with a second hand. And I said, to figure out how to use this as a timer, videotape the clock and see what it does, frame by frame. And they went, we'll do what? Just do it. Just try it. And they did, and they go, oh, now, now what? Oh, that discovery went really well. <laughs> the fact is, if you know how many frames per second the camcorder is sticking on the tape, you can use it as a timing device. Frames per second is, is a good reference. You know, kind of like the films of JFK's assassination. Frame by frame, this is how long it was between the frames, and they study them. You know, same thing. 
Anyway, I'm not going to dwell on this much longer, but <laughs> didactic instruction. That's what I do up here most of the time. I don't usually say, what did you discover this week? You go ahead and talk. I'll just listen. I'll, I'll correct anything I hear that's wrong. No. <laughs> it's my job to bring what I have, what I have d- dug into and what God has revealed and what I, what I uh, have heard that he would have you hear. Because it's not everything that you need to hear about this, but it's what the assembly needs to hear today, I hope. That's my form of didactic instruction, being a teacher in the church. There's also another word. What was that other word? Uh, Pedantic. It's actually sort of related to didactic, but it's more like being hateful about it. (laughs) And being being very instructive and corrective in a very narrow thing because I know so much more than you. That's pedantic. But didactic is just getting it to you, giving you what you need. I'm afraid I have been both at times during my teaching career, both in the church and in the schools. I'm sorry for those who had to suffer through uh, pedantic episodes. I realize not even in instruction, just in daily life, I, when I was about to retire from the school, I was talking to the three people that were working with me in the technology department, and, and I said something. Uh, I corrected some use of a word that Michael or somebody had done, and Jamie, the uh, lady that was working with me, she says, we're not going to miss that. <laughs> I said, I thought that was useful and helpful. No, we're not going to miss it. That was that other word. Okay, so. (laughs) Now, many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, because you know that we will be judged more strictly. Of course, when you handle the word of God, God watches things closely. And especially when you're dealing with his. We have to be careful. For we all stumble in many ways. If someone does not stumble in what he says, he is perfect individual, able to control the entire body as well. Don't know anybody like that. I don't. I know some that are better than others, but I don't know anybody that never stumbles. And if we put bits into the mouths of horses, let's slow down a little bit. All right. We talked about this last week, maybe in the week before. What is it that comes out of our mouth? It is the abundance of our heart. What our heart is filled with is what comes out here. So how do we keep our tongue from evil? It's to keep the evil out of here. And the way we do that is to fill it up with God's word and his grace. Fill it up. Make no room. Leave no room for any other thing that could, that could come out. This is not just talking about profanity, by the way. Profanity is a big deal. I can't, I can't uh, give much grace to a Christian that I hear using profanity. We had a youth minister here long ago that would cuss in front of, in front of us not in front of the church, but in front of individuals, just so we knew he was human, you know, normal. 
Trust me, we knew he was human. He didn't have to cuss to prove it. He had a really messed up sense of what ought to come out of his mouth. To prove something about himself? Or how about let grace flow from in our speech? That We heard about that a couple weeks ago, right? So... Let's make the abundant, whatever is abundant in our heart comes out, so make that abundantly graceful. And that's by filling it with the Word of God, letting Him have His way there. Also, when we talk about the tongue, we, I have to think that it doesn't just concern what we say out loud in person to somebody, especially in our society. What else do you think it might, might concern besides just what we say in the way we live? How about what we text, what we post, what we tweet, what we Snapchat? All of those things were actually things that if you were in person, they would have come out of your mouth. So I think it applies. The same thing applies. There's no, nothing that gets segregated out from what God is saying, be careful of here. If it's a communication with others, it has to do with this same concept that he's dealing with. And let me, let me tell you, let, let's go ahead and read a little further and then I'll go back here. If we put bits in the mouths of horses to get them to obey us, then we guide their whole body, the entire body. Now, the, the difference... To me, between uh, that and our, our own dilemma with controlling our tongues, is horses really want to be obedient to you. You know, a good horse, you train him, he wants to do it. They're smart animals. They're herd animals. They like to be with you and with other horses, and they like to do what they're supposed to do. They like it. They, they know you like it. They, they know you appreciate it, and they get pleasure out of that. Too bad we're not like that. Our bodies are always, our souls are always fighting against what we're striving for here. There's always a battle. Always will be. Look at ships too in verse 4. Though they are so large and driven by harsh winds, they are steered by a tiny rudder wherever the pilot's inclination directs. So you've seen movies and stuff. Maybe even maybe some of you have gone on sailboats. There's a steering wheel, the helm, right? <clears throat> that controls the rudder. That's what it does. Okay, the little rudder in the back of the boat. That it's a little fin thing turns back and forth, and it's controlled by the big on the big ships. You know, with the spokes. You know, they and there's a compass right in front of it. And nobody ever just walks away from the helm without locking it down or something. But normally, there's somebody assigned to that steering wheel all the time because there's always adjustments required as the wind blows and as the waves push. You look at the compass and change as needed. There's somebody in charge of the rudder at all times if you want to go where you supposed to go think about that he's comparing our tongue to that rudder 
The point I'm making is be in charge of your tongue all the time and set its course where God would take you. Sometimes we'll get tired and weary. Like, I need to vent and let it go. Venting can be okay, but too often, what what I'm going to get to here in a minute, we end up setting a little fire in the midst of our vent. That might be okay, if we didn't set the fire. So, keep your hands on the wheel. Keep your eyes on the compass. What, what should I say in this moment? Or what should I not say? Man, that was a tough one. I know a lot of people who are very, very quick-witted. Very quick with a word. Most of them are not very good at judging that word before it comes out, if it's a little tainted. They, they won't do, do the bad stuff, but it may be a little twisted, a little bit tainted. But it, they're too quick. They want to be quick. They want to be more quick than, than righteous. <laughs> I'll fix it later and be righteous about it, but, man, I just need to say this because it's good. It's good. I've got to throw this in there. I've been guilty. Okay? That's why I know there are people like that. I'm one of them. So too, in verse 5, the tongue is a small part of the body, yet it has great pretensions. Think how small a flame sets a huge forest ablaze. Every time I think about forest fires, this is not anything to do with the Word of God. Just a story. Because I'm human, I, I just need to share this with you. Not, I, instead of cussing, I'll just you know, you know, share this story to let you know I'm human. Long, long time ago, when Tom and I were in the second grade together, uh, uh, you saw Smokey the Bear commercials on TV all the time. They were on there all the time. And all the commercials showed these people leaving a fire un, unprotected or not put out, walk away, and the forest fire catches you know, the, the flames catch the trees and all of a sudden the forest burns down. Everybody's doing these things that cause forest fires. And then at the end of the commercial it says, only you can prevent forest fires. They just showed all these people causing forest fires. And then they say, only you can prevent forest fires. So I got the definition of prevent backward. I thought that's what they were doing. They were preventing forest fires, not making them. And I embarrassed myself by answering the question in class, what does the word prevent mean? And I said, to cause. That's what Smokey Bear said. I didn't say that part, but that's where I got it. Everybody laughed. I didn't answer so many vocabulary questions after that for a long time. Only we can prevent forest fires. Because our tongue is ready to set things ablaze. And we can prevent it by controlling our tongues. Have you ever set something on fire on purpose because it needs to be burned up like a pile of weeds? 
or your grass. I don't know, nobody ever does this anymore, I don't think, but we used to always burn the grass in the spring, you know, get ready for spring, burn off the grass. Have you ever done that, any kind of setting a fire, thinking you're ready for how big it's going to be, and then all of a sudden you're not? Because fire gets big in a hurry and hot. I mean, even, you know, just tumbleweeds are the worst. Because there's so much room for air in the middle of those tumbleweeds. And they're dry, and they're all piled up, and you go, one little match, and all of a sudden you're running backward because this is the, this huge flame. And you can't even get close to it to do anything about it. You run, and you find out the water hose doesn't quite reach, and you're spraying from a distance, and it's not reaching. He uses this example for a reason. Because the same thing happens when we don't control our tongues. We can let a little spark start a fire that we cannot control. And it burns stuff up. It destroys stuff. That's how important this is. With a word, a word, a spark, a small little spark, a word from our tongues that is not of God can destroy relationships, can destroy people's faith, their confidence. Man, we've got quite a responsibility. I'm going to read a bunch of Proverbs. Don't worry about trying to go to them. I'm just going to read through these. Who wrote Proverbs? Hmm? Solomon. What do we know Solomon for? Wisdom. Okay. He wrote a bunch of stuff about the tongue. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruit. Proverbs 18.21. 21.6 says, Getting treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor for those who seek death. Proverbs 21.23 Whoever guards his mouth and his tongue keeps his soul from troubles. I like that one. 25-15. By patience, a ruler is persuaded. A soft tongue breaks the bone. Wow. 10-19. Where there is much talk, there will be no end to sin. But he who keeps his mouth shut does wisely. Wow. Proverbs 10-20. The tongue of the righteous is like choice silver. The heart of the wicked is of little worth. 10.31, the mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom, but the perverse tongue will be cut off. 11.12 says, he, would, he who has a poor opinion of his neighbor has no sense, but a wise man keeps quiet. 12.18, there is one who speaks rashly like the piercing of a sword, but the tongue of the wise heals. 12.19, truth's lips will be established forever, but a lying tongue is only momentary. 15.2, the tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of fools gush out folly. 15.4, a gentle tongue is a tree of life, but deceit in it crushes the spirit. I'm going to read that one again. A gent- this is 15.4. A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but deceit in it 
crushes the spirit. 16.1, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from God. 17.4, an evildoer heeds wicked lips. A liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. 17.20, one who has a perverse heart does not find prosperity, and one who has a deceitful tongue falls into trouble. 17.28, even the foolish man, when he keeps quiet, is taken to be wise. When his lips are shut, he is credited with good sense. That's where I believe where several people have been credited with a very similar quote. Better to be quiet and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. That's kind of similar. But even a fool seems wise if he never opens his mouth. The north wind brings forth rain, so a backbiting tongue brings an angry face. A lying tongue hates those it hurts, and a flattering mouth works ruin. 28-23, one who rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than one who flatters with the tongue. And the last one I'll read is 29.20. Have you seen a man who is quick with his tongue? That's what I was talking about a minute ago. There is more hope for a foolish man than for him. Ooh, there's a warning. More hope for a foolish man than the man who's quick with his tongue. Verse 6, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue represents the world of wrongdoing among the parts of our body. This is a big deal. And it has everything to do with how do we deal with each other other than what we say to each other. You know, you don't just come along and pat people on the back and keep walking. You don't come along and slap somebody and keep walking. It's always a matter of speaking or yelling or whatever. That's how we, we communicate. That's how we deal with each other is through our tongues. And it says it represents the world of wrongdoing among the parts of our bodies. It pollutes, get this, it pollutes the entire body and sets fire to the course of human existence and is set on fire by hell. Think about exactly what it's saying here. Middle of verse 6, it says, the tongue, it pollutes the entire body. I usually think about what our tongue does to other people. But this is talking about what it does to us. Have you ever been in the midst of a conversation that got heated and then got angry and went on? Do you walk away feeling better about yourself or do you feel like you should throw up because of all the junk that just came out of your mouth have you ever felt that way it polluted you it pollutes me that's weird stuff that comes out pollutes us 
And then talks about, it sets fire to the course of human existence. Words, what comes from our mouth, our tongues. Think about this. I think most of us in the room would probably come up with the same answer, but I'll just ask it and then tell you what I think, what, what I considered when, when I thought about this question. What's the, what is the uh, greatest example of words bringing evil and changing the course of human existence that we are fully aware of in what we understand in history and today, the world today? Can you think of one person that with his mouth changed the course of human existence? Let's say in the last century. I can. One guy comes to mind. Because Adolf Hitler was an extraordinary orator. When he spoke, people listened and were moved. He also had the advantage of speaking to people in great need. Needing to hear what he was saying. Not necessarily the lies that he was saying, but they needed to hear something to believe in and give them hope of some kind. And he brought this evil message, condemned a whole section of humanity, and brought on the Holocaust and World War II by what he said. Wow. He's not the only one, but we just know a lot about him. You can see films of him doing that. I believe that's what it means by sets fire to the course of human existence. And then the very end of that, verse 6, and is set on fire by hell. I'll just uh, quote Matthew Henry here again. The devil is expressly called a liar. We know that. A murderer. An accuser of the brethren. We know that is who Satan is. And whenever men's tongues are employed in any of these ways... They are set on fire by hell. Satan is using their tongues when they are employed in lying and murder and accusing. Where does that come from? It comes from the very pit of hell. Satan is who is the author of that. Verse 7. For every kind of animal, bird, reptile, sea creature is subdued and has been subdued by human camp, humankind. I've, I was amazed by a lot of things that we saw when we went to SeaWorld a number of years ago. Uh, you know, the orcas. How do, you, how do you get an orca, you know, this big animal, to do what you want it to do? I mean... It's not like they understand English. And you can't say, here, jump up here like this. You can't grab them and do that. But they do. They train those animals. It's just unbelievable. But then the most, most amazing thing to me was the trained flocks of birds. Have you ever seen those? They have this you know, netted area. You go in, it's kind of a 
stadium sort of thing. And these flocks of birds go, out, go around and do these things like from these hand signals and stuff. Now, how do they get that to happen? I don't know, but they do. My point is they do. You can see examples of what it says here. Man has subdued the animals of every kind. Whales and birds and everything in between. Saw a video on Facebook the other day, a dog hopping up on a rope, balancing on a rope. You see that? Isn't that crazy? Dogs ought not to do that. But you can get one, too. I guess some people can. I can't. I can't get my dog to do anything except eat the milk bone. Boy, they'll do that in a heartbeat. Verse 8, but no human being can subdue the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. That looks like no hope. No human can tame it. But thank God he can. Without the Holy Spirit, we have no hope in all kinds of places, but especially right here. If we don't have the Holy Spirit guiding even our very words in conversation, we can't tame it on our own. It's not in man to do it. Can't do it. We can't do it, it says. Man can't do it. But because we are given the Holy Spirit, that is where that enabling comes from. But only as we submit to it, because our tongue is always ready to do its own thing. Always ready. You let go of the wheel, on the big chip, what's it going to do? Go where the wind takes it. You ever seen the, in the movies where they let go and it goes, <laughs> you know, like, whoops, pull it back, and then it, all of a sudden it breaks, you know, because there's all these ropes and pulleys and stuff getting back there to it. Don't let go of the steering wheel. It's not you that needs to be steering anyway, it's the Holy Spirit. But you can say, step aside. I got this. (laughs) No, we don't. It is not in us. It is not in us to control our tongues. It's full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord, the Father, and with it we curse people made in God's image, which is no better than cursing God. If we curse those he made in his image, he's not happy. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. These things should not be so, my brothers and sisters. And a spring does not pour out fresh water and bitter water from the same opening, does it? No. These are just rhetorical questions, very easy to answer. No, no, no. Shouldn't happen. Shouldn't happen. Shouldn't happen. But it does. it's, It's really sad. If you get real honest with yourself, answer those questions. Nope, but it does. Nope, but it does. Nope, but it does. Just get honest. And then when you're honest enough with yourself, you step away from the wheel and say, Holy Spirit, I need you. I need God's hand on me. I need direction. Every time I open my mouth, let it not be so that I curse and bless with the same mouth. Verse 12, can a fig tree produce olives? Nope. A vine produce figs? Nope. Neither can salt water produce, uh, salt water spring produce fresh water. So, That's the sort of the end of the 
tongue thing, all of this stuff is tied together anyway. It's just like these sections, but they all are joined. Now he moves to wisdom. Who is wise and understanding among you? Has to do something with what we just read, though. By his good conduct, he should show his works done in the gentleness that wisdom brings. We've talked about wisdom before a number of times. I've told you a number of times I pray for wisdom all the time. We all ought to because we all lack it often enough that we ought to pray for it all the time. But there's, that doesn't automatically cause you to walk in gentleness like it says it, you should. If you're wise and with understanding, by your good conduct, you should show your works done in gentleness that wisdom brings. Wisdom should bring gentleness. Now, that's interesting. It has not always been that way in my life because I haven't been in line with the Word of God. Wisdom doesn't automatically bring gentleness, but it should in that way. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfishness in your hearts, do not boast and tell lies against the truth. Such wisdom does not come from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. A lot of people uh, have learned street smarts, you know, been wise on the street, you know, because of experience or whatever. That's just kind of what happens in, in the earth. The streets teach lessons. But that is not the wisdom we're to strive for. It did not come from above. It came from the street, from the earth. We, you know, you heard people call, you know, the wise guys, you know, the mafia guys, you know, wise guys. That's not the wisdom we want. We want wisdom that results in gentleness and understanding. Look at 16. For where there is jealousy and selfishness, there is disorder and every evil practice. That's just stuck right in the middle of this thing about wisdom. Jealousy and selfishness. Do you think earthly wisdom then doesn't really result in much peace? It results in jealousy and selfishness. That looks, that's what it looks like to me. Why it's stuck right there in, that, in the middle. 17, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, accommodating, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and not hypocritical. I want to go through that description. That is pure. It means it's true. Unadulterated, pure, like ivory soap, except better. Right? Remember, you guys don't know. 99 point whatever percent pure. Peaceable. The word study I saw this, saw in this, God's gift of wholeness, which results from knowing and discerning the Lord's will and obeying it. Peaceable. Gentle, the sense of truly fair by relaxing overly strict standards in order to keep the spirit of the law. Whoa. Think about that one. That's the word gentle, meaning equitable, or gentle meaning in the sense of truly fair by relaxing overly strict standards. 
Because standards, you know, God sets standards. But you know what we can do to them? We can go beyond his standard and make it overly strict in order to keep, but we need to relax those to keep the spirit of the law. What law is that? One from last week, the law that brings freedom. Wow. The law of spirit and truth. Accommodating is another description here of this wisdom. Easy to come to terms with because you're already willing before it ever starts. Always willing, always looking for a way to come to terms. Not looking for a way to get your way, but a way to come to terms. Always willing. Full of mercy. Now this is interesting. Defined by loyalty to God's covenant. That one surprised me. Defined by the loyalty to God's covenant. The word impartial, without uncertainty, unambiguous, undivided, wholehearted. It's a little different take on that word too, that definition from the Greek. Wholehearted. That's that peacefulness that comes from that wisdom. It should be wholehearted and unambiguous. Not hypocritical. Not a phony or a put on. Describing sincere behavior free from hidden agendas or selfish motives. That wouldn't it be nice if when we heard someone speak we could just know there was no hidden agenda. No selfish motive. Nothing that wasn't plain and pure. Wow. Do you know anybody like that? Even sometimes they're like that. <laughs> I hope everyone does know someone like that, that you can expect that what they say is absolutely purely what they, they are trying to convey. There's no hiddenness, no hypocrisy, nothing of their own self-interest. It's a joy to talk to somebody like that. Eighteen, and the, fir- and the fruit that consists of righteousness is planted in peace among those who make peace. The fruit that consists of righteousness is planted in peace among those who make peace. That sounds like a pretty good place to live. Righteousness planted in the midst of us Planted in peace among the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers. Do you have anything? I'm done. of this uh, didactic teaching was uh, 
was a revelation, not that uh, I haven't practiced it. <clears throat> In fact, I practice it and still practice it. But it, uh, what Jimmy was talking about was that there is a way of thinking that when I'm talking with you, that you come to your own conclusions. That's, that's the goal of giving, empowering people to come to their own conclusions. Well, you can't do that with math. You can't say 2 plus 2 equals 5 because it doesn't. And so he's going, I'm going to tell you that 2 plus 2 equals 4. And this, you have to know that before you ever go on. Psychology is even worse because the whole premise behind psychology is you do what you do or what makes you feel good. So whatever makes you feel good, that makes it right. And it's wrong. It's a wrong thinking. It's a wrong premise. So when someone comes and says, I would like to counsel with you, I make it very clear. We're going to use the book, the Bible. That is the end result that your life is messed up right now. And so, therefore, the only way to get it back on track is through the book. Because in it, God says, I will give you peace, I'll give you joy, I'll give you all of the benefits of being a son or daughter of God. And so, therefore, after you vent or tell your side of the story, I'm going to be listening for what? What am I listening for? I'm listening for when you departed from the word of God. Because that is the place the problem started. It is when you separated from what the book said as right. So when people come and bring a definition of why I did something, and I think, I did something because I either wanted revenge or I wanted, to, I, I, I wanted it my way. And you have to bring them back to the book. There's a representation, and I pray that all of you do this, that when you talk to someone, you represent Christ. And what is Christ? Well, he defines himself in the book. And so, therefore... Your definition of what is right or the thing that you're going to tell the person you're talking to is, let me show you the way of God. Because Jesus says, I am what? The way, the truth, and the life. There is what you truly want. The way, the truth, and the life. You came in this room depleted of that. Let's get you back on track. And it's going to be a didactic teaching. <laughs> You're basically going to tell them 
this is how you do it because you weren't doing it before. So don't feel bad about representing Jesus in your life to somebody else. Be able to tell them this is the way Jesus would have done it. Not my opinion. My opinion would be, oh, yeah, go have your fun. But his opinion is, this is where you get life and life abundant. Life abundant. Do you know what that means? Well, it's, it's, it's written there for you. So uh, that was uh, that's good, Jimmy. Appreciate, appreciate your heart. Appreciate your wisdom in, in the things that you were saying. Uh, I love the definition of pure. I, what I say, I want it to be pure. And the way I keep it pure is not deviating from the word of God. I can't deviate from that. The minute I start doing that is I start seeing it's something that I want. Yay! She says, it's over and I'm hungry. <laughs> See, I know, I know baby talk. I, I interpret that really well. So be in prayer uh, for uh, those who are in need. Uh, after you pray, ask God, what do I need to do about it? You know, do I need to you know, take food? Do I need to give them an encouraging word? Do I need to write a letter? Do, whatever God tells you to do, just be obedient to that. And... Uh, the more you do the little things, the more God's going to pour upon you even more and say, do bigger things. Be faithful with the little things. And uh, you'll see how God magnifies. He will magnify uh, the results of your efforts. That's called faith. Okay? So uh, I'm going to pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray that we are a... Uh, army, an army that goes out to uh, confront the enemy. And I pray, Father, that every one of these people in here will confront the enemy and be victorious because you have already won the war. And, Father, I pray that you would show them uh, the delight in walking in your way and knowing your truth and having life abundant in you. In Jesus' name, amen.